y'all. Thanks for tuning in to episode four of Intersections. We are sorry that this episode is dropping a little later than we wanted to, but sometimes life happens. This one's a conversation with our friend Akiva Griffith. Akiva works for... We can't say. We legally can't say, but his work informs his perspective on a lot of the issues that we discuss in this conversation. Akiva has been a longtime friend and a favorite conversation partner, and we hope that you engage with this one as we talk about what it means to be a critical and conscious consumer of pop culture, which is a very important topic for our time. Without further ado, here's Akiva answering the question, what intersections do you embody? Um, well, the intersections that I embody, um, I'm a male, I'm black, African-American, however you decide to classify that, um, uh, straight, I'm a father, I'm a husband, education-wise, um, completed my graduate degree, did I forget something? <laughs> it's something like, that I've been really thinking about, having the I guess, yeah, the privilege of being neurotypical. So you can blend in with in a social setting, you can kind of blend in as not being a different. Or the way you experience the world yeah, is exactly. how the majority experiences yeah. the world. Yeah, Got that's it. a good one. I, I experience you, Akiva, as a neurotypical person. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't know if that's like, how you experience yourself, yeah. but <laughs> you <laughs> seem to be. <laughs> I think. Uh, really what about your family? Uh, family, I guess family of origin. My mom is from Guyana, South America. My dad is from Barbados. I have two sisters. I guess what other things about family of origin? I didn't realize your mom was from Guyana. Yeah. I don't know anything about Guyana. Most people don't. And most people <laughs> hear it and they hear Ghana or yeah. they'll... They'll if you had asked me, somewhere else. I'm yeah. ashamed that this is the case. But if you had asked me, where is Guyana? I would have been like somewhere in Africa. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's why whenever someone asks about like where, like where are your parents from, then I'll be specific. I know people yeah. know Barbados because yeah. of the Caribbean, and I think when they hear Guyana, they're like, they're like, a, there'll be a pause unless someone has a connection. Yeah. To it, whether it's through travel or their family of origin. But yeah, I always use that identifier of South America just so it's like gives people a place. Yeah. And even then, I think some people are like, wait. And then the next question usually is, does your mom speak Spanish? Mm. And then the answer is usually no. And then if I, if they don't, it's understand, coming back to me. I've taken yeah. Latin American history classes. Yeah. So I, and I, I'm doubly ashamed because I lived in South America. I lived in Argentina for a year. But so I, I've traveled around Southern South America. Right. And if I remember correctly, Guyana is like on the northern coast. Northern coast, right above Brazil. And is a sp and, like and is an English speaking. So there's French Guyana. Okay, yeah. it's coming back slowly. <laughs> so <laughs> so yeah, there's French Guyana and English. And then is formerly British Guyana. Okay. And then and which is now just just Guyana. Okay. And then formerly British Guyana. Right. And then the artist formerly known. The uh, artist formerly known. And then there's Dutch Guyana, which is now oh. Suriname. So. Okay. Okay. Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. Another one of those countries that I'm guessing yeah. most people, you oh, know, if, if it was, <laughs> if we were playing the game, like, do you know more than a fifth grader? That'd be one of those, like, uh, Suriname, <laughs> You're like, Asia, uh, or uh, Africa? Is it a Pacific <laughs> island? You're like, <laughs> it'll be one of those kind of questions. Okay, so Dutch Guyana mm -hmm. is now Suriname. Correct. Fascinating. I know. Geography. That's fun. <laughs> have <laughs> you been to Guyana? I have not. I have not. I've had family that have gone and... You know, I've had great 
experiences, you know, visiting again. And that sort of made me want to do it more. Because I think there's a lot to see there. And it's just like a really like natural beauty um, of a country. Yeah. I'll say that again. Guyana is just a really naturally beautiful country with yeah. like waterfalls and rainforests. And it has mm. a lot of history. And, um, and it'd be interesting to see what that sort of, like the diversity of people, the biodiversity and just see what it looks like and just experience that and meet family that I've either heard of or never heard of. Yeah. Um, just to see what it's like. It's on the list. Where did your parent? did your parents meet? Where? They met in Brooklyn, New York. Okay. Yeah. So that's how they met. Is that where, where did your mom grow up? My mom grew up in Guyana until she was around 17, 18. And then her, um, when it was time for her to go to college, it was either going to the UK or coming to New York. And um, I think she was prepped and ready to go to the UK. Mm. And then I think at the last minute, my uncles that were in New York um, asked for her to come there instead. Mm. So she would gotcha. have gone to the UK with her sister, mm. um, but they decided to have her come to New York and the rest is history. Could you tell us about the role of religion in your life growing up? Mm-hmm. Um, I guess in my house growing up, religion was definitely important. We were, you know, Seventh-day Adventists, and we, you know, when the sun would go down, the TV would go off, there'd be work. Like, it's that whole, you know, very, you know, somewhat traditional mm-hmm. way of life. Um, you know, I didn't really go to the movies until I was, I don't know, maybe in, like, sixth grade or so like for religious reasons yes and no so for in our house like my mom was totally fine with it she grew up going to the movies and her family is seventh day adventist it was just a part of life my dad i'm almost positive has never gone to the movies wow i'm not 100 percent sure fascinating um and i think it sort of got to a point where my mom was like i like I want to take you guys, so we're going. So the first movie we saw <laughs> was Malcolm X. Oh. So like that was like my introduction to watching a movie um, in the theater was Malcolm X, and I was like hooked, and I was just like, I just want to keep doing this. That is yeah. such a better story than Balto for <laughs> me Balto. at age twelve. <laughs> so it's probably Mine was liar 12. liar. Really? Oh, yeah. Okay. It's like, and it just was such a vivid experience. Like I can still just remember like going to the theater. And just like seeing like Denzel Washington and Angela Bassett mm. in this movie, and I'm just like, oh my god, like this is incredible. Yeah. And then it was like a while before we even saw our next movie, which ended up being <laughs> Waiting to Exhale, <laughs> the whole other thing. Um, <laughs> which we're like on an Angela Bassett thing, but um, but it was just like th- those movie experiences. Or no, it was Bodyguard. Okay. Dude, it was like okay. <laughs> there was a very specific yes. Like, tone of movie whenever my mom would take us it was like <laughs> your mom was just wanting those to watch three <laughs> movies. So basically the movies that she wanted to watch yeah and i was all for it but it was i think it helped it was sort a of movie i just wanted part. to go to the movie yeah, yeah. <laughs> and i think it helped break down a little bit of that barrier of like yeah. the adventist way of going like not going to the movies and then finally being able to go with like friends and and all that stuff but um but beyond that like you know our family was really involved in church where, you know, my mom was 
like the church clerk and my dad was an elder and a pathfinder area coordinator for a group of churches. And so it was very much like a part of our, our weekly lives where we would, if we weren't at church and stuck there after church because of, you know, parents having conversations with friends and going to board meetings, we would be out and about going to other churches that my dad would be visiting for various like pathfinder programs or going to like campery or whatever camping thing there would be. So it was like very much a part of our world. And it was also, you know, interestingly enough, like the exposure to various cultures came through my dad's being, you know, my dad being a area coordinator in pathfinders and his churches being like a Thai church and Indonesian church and Hispanic church. So it's like, a lot of exposure to a lot of different hmm. types of people through that life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and like with the Adventist church being very global, it was just, it's like, a, it was kind of not, it was just normal, I guess, for us growing up to sort of be exposed to all of those cultures through how they would go to, how they did church, which in a lot of cases was different from how we did church. Yeah. And then food of course was like a big part of that. So it was very much like a lot of like little introductions to things that I think help shape a lot of, you know, who I am today. That's really fascinating. And that's a pretty unique experience. I would imagine like, so I grew up in a mostly white church. Mm -hmm. Linda grew up in, in an Indonesian church. Yeah, and that was our... <laughs> I should have just said it. Yeah. Linda Linda grew up in an Indonesian church, and that was our experience of church, like yeah. those two. And yours was like the whole menu, like the whole fruit salad. Yeah, it's like going to a black church that was more on the traditional side, especially for that time, like singing the hymns. And they're really like... Anytime it was like gospel, it was usually like choir, never really like... Uh, Sometimes mostly choirs, visiting choirs and the main church choir. And that sort of evolved because it was a church that also didn't have drums until years after I like years after being a kid. I can't even remember when drums were actually like actually allowed in the church. I remember the first time drums showing up and there were some older members that would just walk out Mm. until they would like walk out and wait until song service was done and maybe come, if they would come back at all, we'll come back for the sermon. But we're just like offended by the fact that (sighs) this devil's instrument would be in the church. (laughs) This is totally random, but fun fact, y'all. Akiva sang at our wedding as I was walking down the aisle. He did. He sang a Lauryn Hill song. I did. Thank you, Akiva. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> um, so your that experience early on is that kind of where your fascination and your desire to be involved in entertainment came from? Um, I think my desire for entertainment was definitely like getting an opportunity to go to the movies. But even at home, like my, I always just liked watching TV. Like, you know. I think when you're a certain age, like your parents want you to watch certain things. Like I would watch like every PBS kid show or um, after school cartoon, but then would also like anything that was on TV, like the comedies and like, I always just wanted to just watch and see what it was about. And then every weekend, like from a very early age, I had to watch Saturday Night Live. Like Mm -hmm. I always just wanted to see, 
Like I would always just try to stay up late and check it out and just laugh and go to bed. Yeah. It was like part of the routine and it, it evolved <laughs> when I was in like junior high. Like a lot of my friends all watched Saturday Night Live and Mad TV and every oh. Monday, like you didn't want to not watch it because mm. every Monday yeah. people would come you would and have nothing would to talk know about. every sketch by heart. Oh, wow. It was like a thing. Like people would just yeah. like go and just yeah. start doing all the sketches. Awesome. Like it was very much a part of like the culture. Uh, Mrs. Swan was my thing. Oh, my Matt gosh. TV and um, I forget the other sketch where um, he's a kid. Is uh, it Stewie? Stewie. Stewie. Yeah. yeah. Or Stewart. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like really, yeah, just like definitive <laughs> things that were telling me that entertainment was in my future and then college mm. was where it was like very clear. Yeah. yeah. But I also wasn't thinking that was possible. Yes. Um, so I, for the past... Part almost, of your intersection is you're employed. And so gainfully. Yes, I'm gainfully employed, thankfully, and have been in my field of work since 2007. Um, so I've been working in entertainment publicity uh, for the past nearly 12 years, 12 years this fall. Um, wow. And my primary focus has been working on television series and just developing um, publicity campaigns and strategy for just any show that's launching um, on the networks that I've worked for, which has really only been two. Um, <laughs> I was at one place for... Almost 11 years, which is really uncommon in entertainment, especially these days. But um, just recently in in the last year, started at a, a new studio and just sort of getting used to now um, coming from a traditional broadcast network and now into a streaming platform where, you know, there's a ton of content and the volume is high and there's just a lot of differences in how, you know, the company operates in comparison to what I was used to yeah. before. But, you know, day to day for any entertainment publicist um, working on television is um, it could be as simple as, you know, connecting with press to talk to them about your show and the actors and different um, producers that are you know representing the show or it could be reading scripts so you can kind of understand where the storylines are going. So if you have an opportunity to bring someone to the set of your show, you're you know choosing the really visual moments or moments that you have a lot of actors on set so they have an opportunity to connect with all those people. Um, just kind of help you get the story out there and just create that narrative about, um, about your series and just how, you know, why people should be watching and mm-hmm. why it's exciting. Um, you know, and some of the fun parts are really just like watching a lot of television, um, whether it's like your, your own projects or other projects that your teammates are working on and try to give ideas of, you know, an angle for a story or just kind of highlighting like a unique moment. It can be anything from like an actor having a really like, impressive moment or it could be about the set design or mm. costumes that stand out because you know that may be the really unique piece of the show and mm. can get you a story um but yeah that's just a like a tip of the iceberg of of what it is that you know i end up in day to day so you just uh, explained a bit about what you do how what is the title of that job? Because <laughs> that's that you just described so many different things. It seems yeah. like yeah, it's it. So right now my title is publicity lead, 
Um, it's in my mind. A lot of times, I feel like these titles don't mean much. Okay, because so it's you've got the same title, thing. and then it you do you have a decent amount of creative freedom about what that looks like, or is it kind of like you're the publicity lead? Here's what a publicity lead does, and it's up to you to kind of how does that work? It's kind of a yes and no okay. answer. So there's, you know, there are responsibilities that you have, um, you know, day-to-day responsibilities, some responsibilities that kind of are more internal facing with, you know, your colleagues in like the marketing and social media and brand teams and how you can work together to, to kind of get the product out there. Um, but it, it really is kind of a self-driven type of job. I think in when you're learning kind of learning the trade, as I guess you would say, you know, the people that you work under are are showing you how to, like, how do you craft a pitch? How do you put together a strategy? So all those things are, you know, you'll do that for every single show. And uh, you'll figure out just the best ways to sort of deal with all the different people involved because you're, like, say you have a slate of shows and you may have like five different shows. You could have a comedy, a drama, a reality show, a special, and you're trying to figure out um, ideas and strategies for each one of those. So you're sort of mm-hmm. having to like uh, recalibrate your brain every time that you're thinking about your project. Yeah, because they're totally different ways to present yeah. that particular story. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you're trying to figure out like how to present, you know, a lot of times, it's there's some things that are sort of automatic where you're trying to just get like Q and A's and features for mm-hmm. your actors and your producer to talk about just generally what the show is about. But then yeah. you could look at it on a deeper level. So maybe you have like a theme about family or a theme about mental health or a theme about, um, it could be like about music. You can try and just find those different themes within your, your series and, try to find reporters that you can work with to write a story kind of just tied to that specific theme to just show a different color of what your show is and maybe highlight something that people may not generally be thinking about um, to get a little bit more attention for your show. Okay. Yeah. And you've, you've been using this kind of nebulous language. (laughs) I noticed you didn't use any particular names and just no, I mean, we know we know the network you work for, and it's not an unknown network. <laughs> if you use the name, there would be one hundred percent name recognition. Yes, which is why you're not <laughs> using the name. Yes, I'm like, what are the rules? I'm nobody, not allowed to say. Nobody would not know the name of the network you <laughs> work for. Um, and the shows you are working on are not small. Ne- everybody would know the shows, right. and definitely for past the past series I've worked on mm-hmm. should would definitely be no current stuff. A lot of it is to be released like this, you know, yeah. a lot of it is pretty brand new Yeah, yeah. stuff that's coming like later this year, mid this year. And you're, it's, you're not at liberty to necessarily talk about that on this I platform. Don't, don't and so know. we won't go there. We won't <laughs> go there. But I'm one thing that I'm really fascinated about. Um, we had a great conversation not too long ago mm-hmm. about like your perception of like, the space that this network inhabits and like any network, like their role and responsibility about like pushing conversations about like social issues forward Mm -hmm. because they are, this is the content that we're consuming. Correct. And like, what is the role and responsibility of these networks to like, they, they change, they change the way that I see the world. Yes. The work that you do, these shows, they change the way that I see the world. And so, 
yeah, I'd be fascinated to hear a little bit about your, and I don't know if you have a, you know, a, a tightly packaged <laughs> thought about this, but start somewhere and we can, we'll see where it goes. But yeah, you kind of get what I'm asking there. Like, yeah, definitely. Like with, I feel like with TV, I think for a lot of us, like growing up, you sort of experience television as entertainment, as a d- diversion. But I think as we kind of get older and wiser, mm. we sort of realize like, huh, this is like, yes, it's entertainment. Yes, mm-hmm. it's a diversion, but it can also say something. Yeah, That's yeah. fascinating. And you're so right. I yeah. f- oh, okay. There's, <laughs> I want to remember that because yes, keep going. But yeah, it can also say something. And I think from, I think from a, for us working in television where a lot of times we'll tell ourselves like it's PR, not ER, like your job isn't going to like, no one's going to die because you couldn't get something. Okay. Mm-hmm. I was like, wait, so, PR, ER. <laughs> yeah, it. it's like, okay. it's not a life-threatening job. Like, we have a job that is stressful but can be fun. But at the same time, as we're, you know, pushing entertainment and diversion, there are there are ways that shows speak to people and in such a deep level where you'll hear stories, you know, especially now that with the advent of social media, you'll hear how, like, a storyline could affect an individual. Yeah. And just even looking at some of the shows that I'm going to be working on where it sort of takes ideas like mental health and grief and puts them in a different medium. So in this show, um, you know, they use the medium of animation to take you through someone's mental health journey as they're dealing with the grief of losing a parent Mm. and, and kind of what that means for, their reality and how others are interacting with them. And it's like seeing things like that, you're like, okay, this, this is going to speak to someone in such a specific way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, you know, you'll get a million people to watch the show and maybe you'll get two people that understand like what the show is really getting at. And it could really impact those, those people's lives. Right. And I think sometimes in looking at like, yes, we're trying to like race to get stories and connect people with press to, have conversations about the show, but I think there's also that that sort of want uh, from my end where it's like, okay, there's maybe one journalist out there that can tell that unique story about how this is a unique look into someone's mental health. So it's like, you, mm. yeah. you, there's an opportunity occasionally to maybe try and do something a little bit different that may have a bit more meaning than just, you know, a story that's going to get a couple of clicks, you know, because it's someone's favorite actor, but you can kind of dive in a little bit deeper and like tell the story from a different perspective and point of view and, and give a voice to a group that may feel that they don't have an opportunity to, to connect. Totally. I, so this is the idea that, that, that just sparked to me is like in my 30 years of life this far, I don't know, like my perception of TV and entertainment has shifted um, but I wonder also... Well, you weren't watching TV for agreed. majority of your life. <laughs> majority of my life, yeah. I grew up with a s- tiny little cathode ray TV that was like 13 inches. We had a tiny TV and I got three channels on it. So I yep. had like PBS and like <laughs> I watched a lot of Malcolm in the Middle and King of the Hill. <laughs> didn't watch Pokemon, didn't have it. I watched Digimon, the knockoff Pokemon instead. <laughs> um, so yeah, I wasn't watching a lot of TV. But I, I here's what I'm, I'm thinking... Um, it seems like there's been a uh, shift in entertainment to be a lot more thoughtful about that very idea of, of like the importance of 
um, of entertainment in like the social conversation that we're yeah. having about certain issues, it seems like there's a lot more intentionality behind the content that we're consuming. Um, that the folks that are making it are now making it with more purpose than yeah. maybe there used to be even 15 years ago. I grew up watching Malcolm in the Middle. I loved it. But what was it about? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Brotherhood. Yeah. Right. Family. family? <laughs> but now, show, like something that Linda and I are watching, the show Rami. Um, oh, I love that Pretty show. sure we talked about it probably in the last yeah, conversation I, we had. Sh- that show is amazing. And I'm like halfway, I'm like halfway through. It just gets better, dude. The it's so brilliant. The story yeah. that I, they're telling and the representation is it's incredible. Brilliant. Yeah. And I think it's, I think what we're seeing is like as much as there's like a wave of inclusivity and diversity and, and sort of like feeling representative of all these, all these various groups, I feel like all these storytellers are really wanting to tell as a authentic of a story as they possibly yeah. can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 No matter what the genre is, it could be a show about superheroes, but they're like, okay, like, it's a fantastical world, but let's let's ground it with some authenticity and and like I'm just seeing it more and more like through the content that we're making, through the content other people are making, and because there there truly is too much to consume, but I think there is just but darn it, we'll try. I know we're all. I know <laughs> I try. It's like I try to give everything just a little watch. Yeah. But um, I think everyone is just really trying to come at these stories from as authentic of a perspective they can, given the environment that they're creating. So whether you know it's a Rami that's very like feels so authentic and real, mm-hmm. and like you're like, oh, I can I can see this guy in the real world, yeah. or looking at you know a superhero show, and you're like, oh, they. Like as much as it is about them sort of like good versus evil, it's like there's this relationship that totally makes sense. Like I can see why people are into this because maybe they feel that they see a piece of themselves or a piece of someone that they know. And I think too, like that that intentionality behind the creation of the content has also created in us, the consumers, the desire to receive, to consume thoughtful content. Like, We're we're watching Rami partly because it's funny and it's like I I I don't identify with the characters. The character is like a millennial Egyptian dude living on the other side of the country than me with totally like a lot of different life circumstances from right. myself. But Linda and I watch it in part because it is a totally different perspective than our own. Mm-hmm. Yep. Which mm-hmm. growing up and I wonder if 15, 20 years ago people were watching TV, A, like you said, just for diversion. Um, just to oh, quote unquote to pass unwind, the pass the yeah. time. Yeah. And now we consume content for different reasons. Um, and part of that is to like get a different perspective than we do otherwise. Whereas, you know, I yeah. grew up watching Tim, the two man Taylor. What was the, <laughs> there was no envelopes being pushed. No, it was totally the, you know, the stereotype of the, uh, like, like the Midwestern family, the Midwestern like, family, the dumb dad with right. the bossy wife and the blah, 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 you know, the same roles. I also think it's entertainment giving more space and room for diverse voices. Right. I, yeah. And I it, totally agree. It's entertainment saying, oh, we've been having a dominant voice for many years and there's been a story that's not been told. Mm-hmm. And so now we're going to give space and room for those stories. Yeah. Because we acknowledge that we our country doesn't look the same, yeah, you know, definitely. and to be relevant, you have to you have to have space and give space for that. Yeah, and uh, there's a hunger for that. 
clearly like just the just the fact that these shows are successful yeah like the majority of americans are not 25 year old egyptian males Exactly. But those shows are striking a nerve because yeah. the like those are because we're tired of the same old we're tired of the Midwestern family story or right. we don't have to pick on the Midwest the quote unquote <laughs> flyover states sorry if you live there um, we like we're tired of the same old like privileged white perspective and a new perspective we're ready for it yeah. we're hungry for it um, so like stories like Pen Fifteen is another one like these two um, like. I don't know who the writers are that these two female comedians, one is Asian American, one is white European (laughs) (laughs) descent, Caucasian. Um, yeah. And that like, that's a, that's a story Their their story of being like pubescent teenage girls, uh, in the early 2000s yeah and yeah telling their story telling their yeah. story in that's their, what they're doing it's a story that we haven't heard story. and it's like yeah. new and it's like oh like a breath of fresh air exactly it's like watching like when you watch like insecure it's like oh yeah, that's a very exactly. specific story mm-hmm. from a very specific perspective but in the same way that people consume sex in the city they can consume insecure it's like mm. why not be able to tell yeah. that story about this woman and her friends and just how they're evolving as adults and professionals and dealing with love and health and mental health and just trying to figure it out, which it's like, yeah, we're all trying to figure it out. Great. Check. We have a commonality. That's (laughs) the deeper. Yeah. Like that's the deeper commonality. You also have to think like when people are putting these stories forward, there's someone that has to say, yes, we will pay to make this. Yeah. And right. if it's something that that person is familiar with, then they're probably more likely to push it forward mm-hmm. because like that's the, that's the story that they know. And, and I think as the, those senior levels have started to evolve and have sort of changed, or even if they may not have changed, maybe those people have become a little bit more aware of like the world and how people are receiving things and what the hunger is for new and inclusive and diverse content then those people are starting to help push forward the voices of those producers that are willing to open those doors. Because, I mean, like, you could just really, like, almost throw a rock and you're just like, oh, that's different. Like, you have Pose on. And that's, like, a very specific story about uh, trans women in in New York during a very specific point of time. Which is so niche. it's like, it sounds so niche, but then at the same time, it's being consumed by such a wide range of people because those truths are universal. Exactly. Right? It's like again, there's a group of people trying to figure it out <laughs> yeah. in a very that's what like. I, that's what yeah. I was poorly. <laughs> I totally stuck my foot in my mouth. I think because of you know streaming services like Hulu and Netflix mm-hmm. that are not under kind of like the five. I think it's like five major big broadcasts. major broadcasts yeah. that are owning these companies. Now creators have a platform to push out their content, right? Like Netflix is spending millions of dollars creating their own originals, I shows, think we can say billions. Hulu, billions. billions. <laughs> yeah. um, Amazon's coming out with their own studio. Like n- now these, you know, these broadcasting networks, they don't have a say on what could be put out there. They don't have the only, only say. say. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Intersections. Yeah. More voices. Exactly. There's a lot of it's so <laughs> many new voices. And I think too, it's like it's current voices and also some past voices where you're seeing the material of 
you know, people like Octavia Butler, who was like mm. one of the few like black women writing sci-fi. And now people are looking at what she wrote and like, oh, wait, like we have some amazing stories that we could tell from the things that she wrote years mm. ago. Wow. And I didn't know that. So you're just thinking of like, you know, you look at like James Baldwin and with like Barry Jenkins saying like, I really loved if Beale Street, like mm-hmm. I love Beale Street mm-hmm. and let me take that and create this narrative, this beautiful movie to tell this story. It's like, it's an interesting, it's interesting to watch people sort of like all these creators are coming and looking at the things that influence them and the things that are like fueling them and trying to create more space. So like some, it's like in some ways space was created and ignored and Mm. it's sort of like sitting off to the side and there were like a rabid group of people that were so into that thing, but it was maybe just thought of as like, that's for those people back in those days. And then now Mm. you have, this, I think this new guard of people, whether it's the creators or the gatekeepers that are coming in and saying like, let's give this, you know, we need to give more opportunity for like a wide audience mm-hmm. to see this particular voice, mm-hmm. and, you know, manifest itself into TV or to movies and just really start to give voice to the perceived voiceless people. Yeah. Um, and it's I think we're like we're he- like we're already in an era of like a really unique shift. And I think it's only going to get more interesting as other groups are sort of like recognized for like their voices not being heard. And you think of like how often do we watch something and experience a story story about an indigenous group? Mm. And you're just kind of like, oh, I don't like what can I think of that isn't stereotypical? That's like literal like cowboys and Indians someone's getting like attacked right. or being categorized as like an alcoholic it's like those like or like connected to casino money in a like right. a, a funny way I'm thinking of like the show Parks and Rec that like that oh, was yeah, one of the yeah. it's like okay that that was pretty recent guys like <laughs> you could have but yeah you it's didn't like have anybody telling you like maybe we shouldn't make the dude like the caricature of, of a, like yeah because yeah. yeah. i think we're gonna start we'll definitely start to see how those there are already creative voices within these communities and now they're being backed by you know people with with power with money to make their stories happen so, I so think why, we why is that. that shift happening do you think like i think because there could be i mean there's probably could be a bunch of reasons that, but mm-hmm. the two like the optimistic perspective would be like the gatekeepers, as you said, are like realizing like, Oh, we need to shift the conversation or the pessimistic part of me says like, Oh, the gatekeepers are just interested in like tapping into like what, what they believe or filling a quota or yeah. yeah. Or like, Oh, millennials want this. Like, let's give it to them. Like that's where the money's at. What's, I don't, I mean, it's, I guess it's kind of hard to say. I think there is a part of it that, you know, they would look at what do these younger audiences, like what gets them excited. And I think a lot of times what gets younger audience excited is seeing people that don't necessarily look like them, maybe look like their friends, mm-hmm. maybe able to tell them a story they've never heard before. I think they want, I think that younger audience wants to see the world that they see outside. Yep. They don't they don't have to see someone that necessarily looks like them, but at the same time I think they want 
their friends that don't look like them to feel that they have an opportunity to see themselves as yeah. well. And I think, you know, we're starting to see it more and more. I think for a lot of people, they are they grew up watching things and consuming and enjoying things that didn't necessarily represent them. Mm-hmm. Right. But I think at the same time, it's like that moment when you finally get something that you're like, Oh my gosh, like that person looks like me or reminds me of my uncle, my aunt, like then it's that much more special. And hopefully we get to a point where everyone just feels like, Oh, I see myself all the time. Yeah. But you know, it's, it's just going to take work and, and I think to do it right will also take, some soul searching for some people just to, to like really find those creative voices to tell those stories when, you know, you may hear like stories about um, like an executive being told like, Hey, we really need to find this marginalized group. And they're like, well, no one, we can't, like, we don't know anyone. Like there's no one that does that. Nobody's doing that. No one's like, they're so hard to find. And then you'll go to like some of these creators and they're like, I can give you a list of 20 people that can mm. do this thing. Mm. And it's, yeah. I think it's really about, you know, all of these gatekeepers and creative voices kind of coming together and helping each other out. It's like one hand after another. And you're seeing it a lot more probably now than you have in like any other time in entertainment where like you have creative voices like Lena Waithe and Issa Rae mm. and, and they're just pulling up all the people around them. They're like, I have this friend that has this mm. amazing story, and like that's yeah. the person that I'm gonna put my yeah. Voice I'm behind. bringing everybody with me. Yeah, and it's and you can see it like social media, of course. Again, like is where you can see it really happening in real time, right. where someone released like someone shows coming out, and all of like all of their friends, whether they're competing with them or not, are all out there, really like making sure that they're showing support and making sure people are coming to that opening weekend, buying those tickets, tuning in, DVRing, like social media, hashtag, whatever it is to make sure people know that it exists. Yeah. Right. And that's part of why this moment is so special is because it's not like existing in a vacuum. It's yeah. sort of like they're, everyone's doing what they can to make sure it's that people know what's going on. Yeah. And, and then the flip side of that is probably, also calling people out when things go wrong so <laughs> it's yeah you know it's it's an it's interesting both and it's not yeah either either. i was just gonna say i think i mean representation matters yeah. and i the more that we see these different voices these voices that haven't been represented for years come up um people are feeling empowered and as create when creatives feel empowered um there's just so much that yeah, with social media, you can do, and people are surrounding that energy. Um, I've been loving consuming entertainment. Like, yeah. I love nerding out on not just, like, wow, this was an amazing scene, but, like, wow, they're saying something very powerful yeah. by doing this, and they're taking risk and Like, appreciating the intentionality yeah. And, yeah, and, and purpose. And, like, being able to critique shows in a different way. Yeah, and it's and I think one thing like some things that have been interesting lately is like with this rise of like diverse inclusive content and people being able to be their authentic self. There are like little nuances that I don't think could have been done a few years ago. Mm. Like for example, the show um Vita on Stars. Yeah, yeah. They don't subtitle when they're speaking true Spanish. i didn't realize that so you're like That's you're right. experiencing yeah, the show Spanglish. like it flows as in and out. if you are just hanging out with them 
and they deliberately don't let you in. Like, if you know, you know. <laughs> if you want to ask, you can you find ask, out. Yeah. Like, there were words that I was like, I'm like, wait, what does that mean? And I was listening to another podcast, and they were explaining. I was like, like they made up a Spanish word for ratchet, and I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, I'm like, okay, like that's so interesting to like think about, like how you're putting entertainment out into the world. Is like, it's like. Yes, this is for everyone, but this really is mm. extra special for this group. Mm-hmm. It's like you don't have like they're kind of not code switching. Um, like I think they're they they're will not doing when it's the necessary emotional labor to the story. To, yeah, yeah, but yeah. if they don't need to for the audience, they will not code switch. If the storyline requires co- code switching, they'll do it. But if like not for the audience, because mm-hmm. I think there's like this is as authentic of a story that we can tell about these sisters in East LA who are Latinx and are dealing with the crazy lives that they have after they lose their mom. And (laughs) you're jumping into their story and we're not going to sugarcoat anything for you. And we're not going to translate it. Just enjoy it. And you can still fully understand the context. It's all there. It's like that rich of a Mm -hmm. story where you don't need to like do the like explanatory mm. comma like mm. this is why <laughs> you know it's like yeah. so it's like really fine like it's really interesting to see how people are just like being very bold about how they want people to sort of experience yeah their piece of culture yeah. and their piece of of the world so it's i mean like the tides are changing in like the most interesting ways right. where I think we're just going to keep seeing more and more of that. I think even in when you're watching Rami, like they don't like really stop to explain to you like Muslim customs about like right. what he's doing. Mm. It's like certain things that I don't, it's like, I don't know that I knew how, when you enter a mosque, like what you're supposed to do. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't understand. Like, I never thought about that. And mm-hmm. there's like watching it. I was like, Oh, okay. That makes a lot of sense. It's like in the same way that we would wash our feet for, you know, like communion. For communion yeah. I'm like, oh, they just do that every time when they go to pray. <laughs> mm. I'm like, wow, okay, that's so reverent. And, like, it's so interesting. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, I think it's, in a way, it's, like, the best, I guess for me, the best way to introduce a new element of someone's life. Like, you don't have to explain it to me. Just show yeah. me. Yeah. And so that that idea of, like, back to these, the gatekeepers, like, it, it being either here nor there, I wonder if... Yeah, you're saying as the as the gates open to these new and diverse voices, like it's going to increase because folks are now there's a new network coming and these new storytellers are have access to storytellers that previously weren't getting the spotlight or microphone. Um, I have this classmate that is helpful in shifting my mind about like like you said, the perceived voiceless. Mm -hmm. He's always like quick to correct like they're not voiceless. They have a voice. It's just that we're not listening. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. which yeah, is important. And I wonder if like, so that optimistic versus pessimistic view of like, are they, are the gatekeepers just doing it to, like you said, fill quotas or is this really like, okay, it's time to feature new voices regardless of which, even if it is the worst possible, even if it is just purely capitalistic, like we want to make more money, therefore we're going to feature these new, yeah, that, that slant so be it like we're right. we're getting we're getting new and diverse voices and i think to to elevate the conversation sometimes 
we have to get to the means we have to get to the end by the non-ideal means Mm -hmm. and that doesn't mean like sacrificing our ethics or values but recognizing that like okay these folks that are only interested in the money we're gonna convince them that this is where the money's at and so we're gonna get we're gonna get to our goal of like including new and diverse voices and they're not gonna get it but they're gonna fund it right and that's enough for today um and that's not ideal and it's still the way it's probably going to have to begin. In some, I think in some instances it probably is that way. Um, and I think as the makeup of like the gatekeeper class continues to evolve, I think like my first at the first job that I was at, like I felt like you look at that team of people helping make those decisions of what's gonna you know come onto the network, and then helping shepherd the stories as it, they move forward it was a pretty well represented group in a way that I think you don't see too often in entertainment and, you know, looking at other companies and, and what that makeup looks like it is definitely in some cases is there's some that are just less representative, but they're still trying to do the work to, to bring in those diverse voices. And I, and I think it's, it has varying levels of success, but, um, I think part of it too is like in these companies bringing in more diverse voices to like to grow up within the system to help make like new and interesting choices that are representative of what they've experienced, representative of what they're seeing in the world from a different perspective than those who are currently there. And I think as these, as more content is going to be made, you need more people to help make that happen because you know these teams are are only so big and you just kind of keep growing and the hope i think is that they grow in a representative way of what the world looks like yeah mm. you know and it and i think it just it can only have a positive impact on on the content that comes out and also just the internal culture and um makeup of the company where i think it's just important that we have those you know, those voices to, to show, you know, what the world is like versus just what people are assuming, you know, things are like based off of what they're hearing or reading. You want people that also have the lived experiences to, mm-hmm. to kind of bring to the table as well. Yeah. yeah. I was going to ask you mm-hmm. about your experience kind of sitting in those conversations, at least coming to the table with um, being a black man mm-hmm. and being that we are living in very like socially and politically and then I would say it's really intense like you wake up and can be stressed by just looking up you know some scrolling through Instagram and seeing what happened or news news. and um, how have you kind of changed in maybe your viewpoints on like how you choose to interact with others at Mm -hmm. work Um, and I'm I'm also making the assumption that as a black man you might be one of a few in the Mm. field that you're working in currently right um yeah tell us a little bit about like your experience with your your interactions and relationship to your identity and working in this industry definitely there's not a lot i mean i think i've worked in spaces that have you know 
especially in the beginning, that had been pretty diverse where I wouldn't be the only black male on the team for the most part. Um, I think there was like a, there was a gap after someone like left where I was pretty much the only one for a while, but it, you said someone like, so one, so like a senior level person that was, um, with the company who was like a mentor that was there in our department. And then, you know, after that, them leaving that, I'm like, Oh, I guess I'm the only one, I'm the only one now. Um, but I mean, in terms of like that specific representation, definitely one of a few yeah but it, i guess in the overall scheme of things just looking at you know the ethnic makeup of the department of the department is tended to be fairly diverse but it's pretty rare to find a black male in most publicity departments mm. um and i think it's just interesting cause i think when you come in and you're young and you're just kind of wanting to work and f- you know figure out if you like it and just see how you can grow within that career is definitely one thing and I, and I think I wasn't necessarily thinking about um anything too di- like too closely I was just kind of happy to be there and <laughs> <laughs> um as I think as things evolved and as like the world around us kept evolving and changing that those thoughts also began to evolve and change and I think there's certain things that you would hear people say that you know, you would kind of like recoil a little bit and you just feel like, like it's like if someone's saying to you like during a round of layoffs, they'd be like, oh, you don't have to worry. Like we need the numbers for diversity. Mm. And you're just kind of like, you're like, yeah, but that's so weird. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. To think of it in that way or to hear like, you know, and in those cases you probably wouldn't even, I, I wouldn't even say anything really because I'm like, am I supposed to say? It's like, I don't have the, I don't have the vocabulary to oh, respond. Like, Weird yeah. is the best way to describe that. Like, how, uh, yeah. And it's like, bizarre. It, and I think it's like, one of those situations, like nothing negative is meant by it, but it's, but then you're also like, Oh, there's probably a little bit of truth in that. Like there's a certain like appearance that is probably very important in a company like this, where you need to like, showcase that you're not discriminating mm-hmm. against any particular group and that you have a representative number. Like it's like all those thoughts kind of go through your head and you're just kind of like, Oh, I don't know. Maybe no, maybe not. And you just like kind of go back and forth and you're like, let's dismiss it. I don't want to think about it. But I think as like time has gone on and I think more people have, will speak openly about like how people of color experience life in the workplace and when you should speak up and like how you should speak up. Yeah. You know, it's like if someone were saying a comment about like a particular group that they don't represent and, or that group that you represent and knowing that you can respond and say like, you can't say that, like that's not appropriate to say in any case, like whether that person's your friend or just a casual, you know, work acquaintance, like knowing that you have that like power just to just speak up on behalf of someone, even if that Mm -hmm. person's not there. It's like kind of learning and like getting more and more comfortable with those type of things, especially as you just hear more and more voices sort of speak up about like how their experiences have been in the workplace or how Mm -hmm. they are sort of like digesting all of, you know, 
the current events and how that sort of like shapes and changes, you know, changes your mind. It's like, I feel like when you have things that explode, like the black lives matter movement, you may not be thinking before that, like how you're moving through a space and how people may be perceiving you or, or even how people may perceive that you're digesting this like news that's coming in. You're just kind of like, Mm. it's like, am I going to come to work and just be like, all militant all of a sudden or I'm going to come to work <laughs> and be like, you know, it's like where, like, cause you have so many feelings about right. like what's going on around the world and you're working at a company that's a media company and it's putting a product out there. And then you start thinking about like, what's the product that we're putting out there? Like, mm. is it, is it, are we like telling the right stories? Are we representing people in general in like the right way when we're looking at these different groups? And then, starting to see how that sort of changed things where you can look at a show like five years ago and you look at a show now, the same show and you're like, Oh yeah, they definitely wouldn't make that Mm. like comment again or that joke again. And I think people are just definitely like more sensitive to how those things are perceived. And, and it's great to have, you know, leadership that is willing to bring those voices into the conversation um, where, you you may have a specific a specific opinion about like how it's like oh maybe that that copy in like an ad that's going to go out about the show is like maybe that's a maybe that's insensitive or mm. like maybe we don't understand the implications of what those words might mean to another group of people and i think it's like now being more conscious about you know the power of our words and how we are trying to connect with all of these you know, diverse groups of people to then come in and consume content. Um, and that sort of being like one piece of it. And then I think now looking at, um, you know, being in a new organization that has a completely different structure and, you know, you know, the entertainment piece of it, not being the main product, you're just kind of like, okay, well, what, what is our place within the company? What does this, this part of the company look like in terms of like, representation and then you kind of look around and you're just like it's like although my team might be you know pretty inclusive and diverse and you look around in the greater like group and you're like oh this is Mm. not that diverse Mm. and and then the conversations I think sort of start to happen where it's like well how is that going to change like how can we make this you know how can we make an impact um that is tangible to make this company more representative of what the world looks like. Wow. And it's, I think part of me even making the decision to leave was thinking, you know, not even from the perspective of like diversity and, and inclusion, but just going somewhere new that was still sort of like in its growing stages. Mm-hmm. It's like, Oh, maybe it's a place where I can make some sort of an impact. And I probably at the time was even just thinking like impact on like, just putting effort into promoting a show, but you know, now realizing that impact could potentially be just the processes to the processes of how we interact with, you know, viewers that are diverse and like, how do we connect with those people to bring them into the world of content that we have, whether or not something in that library of content is specifically for them, but it's like still, how are you talking to those people? to make sure that they feel like they could come to your service and watch anything and 
like how do you kind of honor those fans that exist that don't necessarily look like the people on the show, but right. they're there and they're consuming it and just making sure that we're being conscious and mindful and inclusive of how we're just connecting with all these different voices that I think deserve to be spoken to respectfully and deserve to, you know, have a space on, on, on this platform to enjoy the content. And hopefully when the day comes that there's a piece of content that might be more targeted to that group, they're already there and they feel like this is like a home of where they can come and watch what they, you know, what they want to be entertained by, what they want to be moved by. Um, And it's just like, it's interesting to sort of not only be a fly on the wall, but being given the opportunity to have a voice. um, And be sought out as a resource in these conversations. Which is also a nerve wracking thing because I always feel like, oh, it's like, okay, I could say my opinion, but it's like, how representative is that opinion? Um, You know, is that opinion backed up by anything factual and anything data driven? Or is it just how I I feel, you know? I was going to say, like, where do you get that? component that that education piece of knowing like here's the audience that I think we need to be mindful of and like how do we be intentional like where do you get some of your information and education I think you gotta ask a lot internally sometimes it's looking on um it's like looking at what people are talking about on whether it's through stories in like media like how people are covering things or sometimes it's like you'll notice it in social media um like sometimes you'll hear stories like oh that period drama like you have no idea like how many black people are watching that and i'm like and you're like but there are no black people in this thing (laughs) and it's about like it's like about feudal england or something or it's like but they're super into it. it's like there's you know you don't want to like make a misconception about a group it's like you know until they have the thing that they're probably waiting for it's like they're still going to come and and watch those things and i think sometimes the information is coming from like the teams internally and you're trying to figure out like what information do you have because i think there's certain rules about how you can collect that data mm. and how you're representing groups because i think you know you definitely you can't just assume or like apply like that person is this thing like they I think you have to volunteer that information and you know you just want to make sure I think it's just really important to understand like who's coming to you and 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 the best ways that you can communicate back with them so sometimes it takes a little digging gotcha and a lot of asking questions or trying to do your own sort of market research I was like is this Facebook yeah. are you guys I mean just, I feel like are you guys scrolling through people's scrolling through, statuses like, like where's that hashtag let's see you know, we gotta find out what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. It's what are the kids talking about? What are the kids talking about these days? Um. So, the company. I almost, I almost yeah. doubted you. I almost <laughs> said the name. So, uh, last time you and I talked, Akiva, um, we had this conversation about you were sharing your experience at work. The studio that you work for hosted mm. this event where they invited. Um, one of Linda and I's favorite thought leaders and podcasters and authors, DeRay McKesson. Um, and I would, I would appreciate just kind of nerding out just cause <laughs> I, yeah, I, I'm like super inspired by him and try to eat up anything he does. What was, what was the experience having him in your workplace? It was, it was kind of eye opening. I always like wonder when you're in that sort of mixed space and those conversations are being held. Like, I think it's like one thing to listen to a podcast mm-hmm. 
in your car and you know it's like, oh, I know like a wide range of people are listening to this. But to be in a room with people <laughs> and they're kind of like going through statistics about like policing mm. and um, about how people are, you know, kind of dealt with in the criminal justice system. And you're just kind of like, I was kind of just like looking around just to see like, what are the reactions <laughs> of everyone around here? Yeah. Like it was really like fascinating to see how engaged people were with, you know, what it is that he was presenting and just mm-hmm. talking about like how the criminal justice system is, you know, as much as, you know, the world would like to tell you that it's, you know, blind you know, justice, it's blind justice, fair. like it's fair. And like people are sort of handled equally under like the, the, the weight of the law and it's, and just showing those inequalities and how, um, you know, groups are, basically just being targeted and how the prison system is just this, you know, major money-making machine right. that is sort of, although they're making money, they're sort of devaluing the lives of the people that, you know, they're sort of, they're caging. Yeah. Um, you know, everything from the stats to how much it costs for a, uh, to send an email to mm. accept a phone call and how the system is already targeting people in lower income, you know, communities and then making them pay to communicate with their loved ones and their children. Yeah. And just like further just perpetuating all of these things that kind of bring groups down. And adversely affecting disproportionately people of color and Correct. like and specifically black folks. Yeah. Right. Um and yeah, I, I am always so impressed by how thorough DeRay and the rest of the folks on his podcast, um, Pod Save the People, they're so thorough about like the research that they do and the stat. They're just numbers machines. I don't yeah. know how they keep know how all they this do stuff. It. I could not. I could not do it. It's it's fascinating and and it's like sobering here. I mean, as well, because because we, I don't hear a lot of the like stats that they list from any other like news source, you know, like right. a, of that I can, s- that, is, that is easily accessible. Um, y- then you can verify it. Like any of the stuff that they, oh, yeah. that they reference is easily verifiable just with doing a, like a light perusing on Google, but it's yeah. not, you know, we're not seeing it on the nightly news. We're not seeing that like, um, that civil forfeiture, mm-hmm. the, 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 this law that, it's a loophole almost like police can seize anything um, during a, like a raid for um, like drug offenses, be they low level or whatnot. They can seize anything that is in any way like that they can make a connection to, Oh, this has to do with drug money. So you get caught with a certain amount of weed, then your flat screen TV could be taken off your, your wall, your car could be taken. So all the money that's added up by all the civil forfeiture in our country is more than all the money stolen and all the robberies. Yep. The police are taking, the wow. police are stealing more money than made. all. Wow. If, that's like when he made that point, you can just see like people's eyes were just like, what is going on? Like, I think it's, it's, it's so good that there are people out there really taking like cautious time to kind of comb through all of like 
the distractions of how news is presented and Mm -hmm. how those stats are presented to kind of tell a specific story. And Mm -hmm. it's like, it's like, you can still tell that story. That story might be real, but it's not the whole story. Right. And to kind of lift the veil in that brief time that he was sort of on the stage presenting, you know, his, his topic, it was just like, I was like, man, it's like, there's so much I do not know. Mm -hmm. Like as much as I want to feel tapped into what's happening in the world and what's happening around us or just feeling that, you know, I'm an, uh, aware of everything. It's like, I was like, I don't know anything. Yeah. yeah and totally. like, there's just, you know, understanding how it is that people are being, you know, kind of pushed into such a tough place in their lives that, you know, it's like that it perpetuates into these really like terrible circumstances for, for their families and for them, like redlining you know, like has created areas intentionally, uh, areas with intentionally no economic activity going on, yep. so that the only viable active economic activity is the sale of drugs, mm. and then those drugs that are more often sold in those areas are far more, uh, like heavily. Man, I my brain is working a mile an hour like so slowly I'm, i mean a mile an hour in a slow way not in a fast <laughs> way i can barely think right now um yeah like the those drugs that are being trafficked in those areas are targeted like crack cocaine as opposed to powder cocaine mm-hmm. is t- is punished um harsher yeah and exponentially harsher like it used to be a hundred times more now it's down to 18 times um, progress, but wow. still not good. <laughs> it's <laughs> eighteen so times. Sad. It's it's criminalized eighteen times more harshly. Um, and we look at like who's using which drug stereotypically, like powder cocaine, especially like in the eighties. Powder cocaine was like a white business person's drug, right? And crack cocaine was like the drug of choice for black folks in the inner city. Mm-hmm. And so, which one are we going to criminalize more harshly? Um, mind-blowing statistics like that that they that DeRay just is able to spout off like yeah it's at the drop of a hat um takes work it takes (laughs) a lot yeah it's like he's been in a lot of work it's like I am like in awe of how dedicated you know any one person can be to understanding a specific cause and and all of the things that sort of exist around it. And I'm just like, it kind of makes me think, I'm like, man, I am, I am wasting my time. Mm. I'm like, if you ask me like a question about something that probably appear on IMDb, I can probably answer it. Yeah. <laughs> but mm. it's like, but when it comes to that stuff, I'm like, okay, that yeah. is something that not only that I should know, but I should understand mm-hmm. and be able to recite, yeah. <laughs> you know, if someone were to ask me a question. I think on a, on a personal level kind of where our country is currently at I think it's been uh, like a lot of work on our end to be intentional about having those conversations and I know for me like I'm I, I feel more exhausted when I'm at dinner with friends at a superficial level and I and I'm craving those conversations of like yeah let's talk about inequity even though it is a lot of emotional labor but that's just kind of like i need i need to it's a different kind of yeah energy spent yeah i need to know more i need to to be engaged in this 
um, because it's important. And I think, um, yeah, something that I'm finding that I'm kind of coming up against is how to keep having these conversations just in my circle now Mm -hmm. and really being confronted with like, man, my friends don't care or maybe they care and like they don't have the emotional capacity or space to like go there. Um, And that's kind of been interesting to kind of sit with on a personal level, like interacting with these conversations and, and there's reasons for that too. Like there's like the, the idea, the belief that my friends don't care. Well, the reasons for that could be a, like they don't see it as affecting them directly. And so they're not going to spend time learning more Mm -hmm. about it or B it's too overwhelming to like, I tried opening that can of worms and there was a <laughs> lot more worms in there than I was expecting. So I put the lid back on and yeah. I put it back in the, yeah. the cupboard. Yeah. Never open again. Yeah. 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 Uh, or, you know, like any other number. And those are uh, the first one is the second one's a little more legitimate, like feeling overwhelmed is a more, <laughs> I'm, I would more easily excuse like, yeah, it is overwhelming and it's hard to know where to start than like, Oh, it doesn't affect me directly, so I'm not gonna um, bother learning about it. Engage in that. Yeah, yeah. Which has been like we recently at the school that I will only work for for the next two weeks. Uh, we did a week of prayer, and we just had really hard conversations. And some of the feedback that I got from high school students um, in their interactions with their parents, especially in when it came to race and LGBTQ voices they were like it was okay it doesn't have to do anything with me so I don't really care to engage Mm, in it and I think we use that as almost like yeah we we excuse that way more often than we should like no it does involve you because you're human and you live in this world world, yeah Yeah. and you should be caring about this conversation um yeah yeah because I feel like it's like when someone is sort of making that comment and taking themselves out of the the equation of taking the moment to understand another group, then you end up like perpetuating the, the the like negative stereotypes of how you interact and and all those things without even trying like you because you don't mm. have any awareness to another person's plight at all and it's and I think you know, kind of going back to like all of these stories being more inclusive mm-hmm. and being able to see that like varied representation across the board of, you know, whether that person looks like you or loves like you or lives like you. Um, I think it's important to like consume all these different stories, especially mm. when people are having a hard time even having that conversation, because I think it's like it's just another way to engage with that community without even saying, you don't have to say anything. You just have to watch, (laughs) you know, it's like, it gives you an opportunity to get like a peek in and maybe like break down the walls just a little Mm. bit. So you're like, okay, maybe it's like, maybe, okay, maybe I can now have that conversation that I was like afraid to engage with because it didn't apply to me. It's like now maybe this is just a little peek into that person's world so that I can, be a more like willing um advocate or right. even just 
kind of start the steps toward just understanding another group. You may not need to right. advocate for them, but you just want to un- like just understanding where that person is coming from. I feel like is is a big step in itself. Yeah, and even gaining that self awareness of like, oh, why I was uncomfortable when I watched right. that. Like, why was I uncomfortable? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's why I'm I love where entertainment is going and like this yeah. movement um, because it is giving space for conversation. Uh, Definitely. Yeah, I was. I totally lost my train of thought because it's and late too. To to <laughs> not to like intentionally avoid those kinds of exposing yourself to those stories or to say that phrase like, "Oh, that's okay, but it doesn't affect me." Is mm-hmm. to like refuse to examine your own privilege. Oh, I have the privilege mm-hmm. of not being direct in my perspective, not being directly affected by issues uh like that this certain group of people suffer so therefore i don't have to deal with it yeah i that's a very privileged perspective and to not examine that and confront that is like you're doing not only a disservice to yourself because white supremacy is a burden not only to those affected on the other side but Mm. to that person that holds it too yeah some i mean to to your point too that's it it kind of jogged my memory about where i was heading something that we haven't talked about is the church and the way that I look at pop culture and the church's relationship to it is like, man, if only we had church leaders who had a clue about what pop culture can offer us. Mm. And I think we are so behind. Yeah, There's like <laughs> the tiny handful of people that I think engage with it. And I think then there's that old guard of people right. that are the same like your angel will leave you at the door the <laughs> theater type sort of it's like okay that doesn't make any sense yeah but you know it's just trying to get because i think it can help create a more like safe space for conversation where it's like you can help guide it through like referencing for example it's like right. oh it's like it's like oh i'm having a, a hard time with this thought but you know that thing that in this TV show or that movie, mm-hmm. and then like give that example, and like, oh yeah, I know that, and then maybe it, it'll just help push the conversation just a little bit, you know, and not looking at pop culture and entertainment as like the, the devil, devil. Mm-hmm. you know, pop it's just cultures. like you're like, well, it just it's just it, it exists. Like <laughs> we should all be intelligent enough to be able to consume yes entertainment understand like an, someone else's perspective even if it goes you know against something that we might have all been raised with yeah. you know and like we're missing out on the ter- opportunity often the church misses the opportunity i've actually seen it done really well in a, in a few instances mm-hmm. very few but i've seen it done really well um chris oberg i'm looking at you uh <laughs> but i've i've yeah i have seen it done and when it's done well it when a faith leader taps into like the fact that 70% of your congregation, if you reference like, okay, we're all watching this, right? And isn't this a true story? Like you're missing the fact, if we don't go there, if we don't engage pop culture in um, our faith communities, then we're missing the fact that the majority of our people are consuming this content. Why? Because it's telling true stories Mm -hmm. about true dynamics in our mm-hmm. lives in a way mm-hmm. that resonates right. yeah. and to ignore that or just to say that's bad yeah is in part to say like our humanity is bad right. our experience of the world is bad our uh like our desire for like 
new perspective and our story told on a screen in a creative way and all these things are bad. Yeah. Um, and we're missing out on a huge opportunity to like validate something deeply human mm. and these, these very human truths um, played out through, through media, through media. Yeah. yeah. It's this, I think it's just, a, it's an interesting way to engage with, with the like conversations in faith and engage with a faith community what were you going to say? That uh, just like the role that pop culture, like TV shows, now play in informing, like the political conversation, yeah. like with the ban on abortion situation all unraveling currently mm-hmm. um, in these southern states, and with you know we the largest gathering of folks in Handmaid's Tale costumes yeah. out in front of, I forget which state was it? Uh, it wasn't Alabama. Alabama. It might be Georgia then. Uh, One of maybe. those. Missouri? It was Missouri. A, Missouri. Okay. Um, on like the steps of the yeah. state capitol. Like, I don't know how many women in Handmaid's costumes, but that's like, this is, this is the importance of like these visual like icons. Yeah. Y- you see, you see a Handmaid costume and like you know what's you know what the statement is yeah you know mm-hmm. and it's like very strong <laughs> and clear yeah you don't have to say a word yeah. it's like people people who've never seen it know mm-hmm. they totally get it yeah. and this is the space that that like television and entertainment is now able to occupy with like the intentionality behind like engaging in social commentary yeah. I feel like yeah it's like even a show like that where it's like heightened and. Mm-hmm like really difficult to watch sometimes, mm-hmm. but it's made, it's made a very specific statement that I think people have like really connected with and are willing to like, it's like pushing people to really put their bodies on the line yeah. too. It's yeah. like, yeah. like you don't like those women, it's pretty courageous to, you know, go out and stand up against anything. Right. And to do that in that way it's like who knows what kind of danger like it takes one radical mm. crazy person to come in and say like well i don't like that they're saying this and i'm gonna retaliate in in some violent, in violent way. way yeah mm. and it's <sighs> the world we live in is straight up that's fascinating crazy. like yeah the role uh, you're right like there's no way to put a number on like to quantify how empowering Handmaid's Tale was. Um, is top five shows that you'd recommend for... Of all time? Or no, 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 currently. Currently. Current, okay. current five shows that you would recommend watching. Um, I really loved Russian Doll. Really enjoying Rami. I just haven't finished it yet, um, but I'm getting there. I think it's just one season, but Informer, I thought, was just a really interesting, twisty story. Like... That on the surface, it looks like a story about terrorism, but it's a lot more. Mm. I still think like one of the best comedies is Happy Endings. It's like one of my favorite comedies to watch. And then I would say like one of my all time favorite. I can watch it whenever is Living Single. Mm. Yes. The Better Friends. Yes, yes, yes. I agree. It's funny. <laughs> I, yeah, I love that show so much. 
I, yeah, I should go back and watch it because I watched it when I was a child and I probably had no business really. I was laughing. Same. I laughed. I was, I was laughing. I don't think I understood what was happening. Yeah, same. And now that I've like watched it again, I'm like, this is, this is really legit. This is good, good stuff. Akiva, it has been an honor. It has been a pleasure. And now we'll end the way that we end these conversations. Let's see if Linda and I can get it. The <laughs> highest in us. Okay, one, two, three. The, the highest, highest in, in us honors, honors the, the highest, highest in you. you. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> that's a wrap. Thanks for spending time with us. Thanks.